Hello, and welcome to Think Like a Game Designer. I'm your host, Justin Gary. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with brilliant game designers from across the industry with a goal of finding universal principles that anyone can apply in their creative life. You can find episodes and more at thinklikeagamedesigner.com. In today's episode, I speak with Ben Broad. This is probably the episode I have enjoyed the most, just from a pure laughing and entertainment standpoint. Uh, Ben, as you'll see, is quite the character and really a gregarious personality. Uh, Ben was one of the original designers of Hearthstone. Uh, I got the chance to work with him back in my old World of Warcraft TCG and World of Warcraft miniatures days. And now he is uh, one of the founders of Second Dinner Games, and that has actually created the brand new Marvel Snap digital trading card game and it's got a lot of really fascinating new mechanics it's a very light accessible game with some really interesting deep dive progressions and we talk about what it takes to build these kinds of fascinating digital games that have depth but also have a level of accessibility and polish that really is unparalleled to anything else in the market uh, especially for those of you that have played hearthstone and you can actually play marvel snap right now at the time that this is going live it has just released and so there's a lot of really interesting insights we talk about his origin story and what it's like to be a qa tester at blizzard and the skills that kind of helped him to progress along the path and the ways that the design challenges kind of approach taking these complicated mechanics and simplifying them down but making them more accessible and making them really great so it's really fun uh, there's a lot of great stories in this podcast a lot of great insights into that process of founding a company and building games and how you build something that can really stand the test of time so i really hope that you guys enjoy this as much as i did so without any further ado i give you ben Brode. Hello and welcome. I am here with Ben Brode. Ben, dude, it's so good to have you here. It's awesome to be here. Oh my god, we we have have a history that I'm uh, I'm excited to share. But like, it has been years now uh, since since we've really gotten a chance to talk, especially deep diving on design. And yeah. you have been up to some very very uh, big things. Uh, I've I've recently played the beta of uh, your brand new game from uh, your company, uh, Second Dinner, the Marvel Snap, uh, which by the time this podcast comes out will be available uh for download i'm assuming on all the devices uh is that yes, I- ios and android, android. And, uh, we have an early access on pc too yeah yeah so all that stuff uh i i i i played it for purposes of research uh for this call but as i was saying before we started talking i i got i ended up getting hooked for like 12 hours this last weekend <laughs> so uh i definitely recommend that people check it out and we're going to talk a lot about some of the interesting design decisions and what it's like to start your own company and all that but I always like to start at the beginning, right? You are uh, you're a famous internet personality now, and uh, and designer, and uh, and and I want to know. I know I know your Blizzard story, but I don't know your pre-Blizzard story, or if we've talked about it, I've forgotten it. So I'd love to know uh, what got you started in this crazy path uh, that made you uh, who you are today. Well, uh, so I I always loved games, and I would make games on like my TI eighty two calculator. That was kind of my uh, <laughs> my first game creation experience, and I would trade <laughs> games with other uh, people from my school and from other schools and stuff. And so I, I think I, I, this is episode. I think this is episode like forty something on my podcast. You might just have had the nerdiest origin story of anybody <laughs> so far. <laughs> there was an old website. I had to get like a, a link cable and upload my games to like TI eighty two 
apps.com or something. Oh uh, my God. That's great. That's great. I actually remember doing the same damn thing back then. But I, had <laughs> forgot, I had blocked it out. Uh, I had blocked that out of my mind. That's amazing. Okay, was, great. So wait, was, so you were programming the games yourself from yes, scratch? Or you were yeah, getting I, started, okay. I started downloading other people's games and then editing them, uh, like optimizing them to make them faster and, and work better. And then I started making my own stuff. Uh, how did you how did you get the confidence to do that? You you never programmed before that, or you did, and you then just found the calculator and went. Like, what? How old were you when you, this happened? Like, uh, I was curious. Was, uh, it's got to be like tenth grade or something, ninth grade or tenth grade yeah. or something. So okay, like fifteen or sixteen. But yeah, I, you know, it was. It's not like there. It's not like high stakes. You just like, you know, the code all exists. That's the thing about these old TI eighty two games is that you couldn't like encrypt them or anything. But if you got a, if you got an app, you had all the source code for the app, so it was easy to like. You know, mess with it and change change the the credits to say your name, even though you didn't make the app. You know, was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I also was super into card games and board games. We, my dad uh, was a huge collector of uh, board games, and so we, he had like a thousand board games in the year like 1990 or something. This is before board games were like as huge as they are today. Uh, and we used to have mandatory game nights. I wasn't allowed to go out with my friends. I had to stay home and play board games with the family. So. <laughs> wow, so. wow! You would think you'd rebel and go away from game nights, but you got you got into it. They, they, it exactly. worked. And, That's uh, great. We, we all played magic. We used to do um, uh, uh, for anyone if it was a birthday or it was like a, a holiday. My dad would get uh, six booster packs for each person in the family. We would do like a birthday sealed deck tournament uh for oh. everybody's birthday my mom my dad my brothers we all had uh we did sealed deck so uh yeah and- see this is this is a way better like <laughs> origin story now that see i i you don't understand like my 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 aunt when she she for my birthday got me a magic set i mean like a thing with tricks <laughs> yeah. in it like you pull a rabbit out of a hat because she thought she heard i was into magic <laughs> 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 so yeah you were doing well you were doing well uh, uh so I, I also got really into then um like modding i, d- I did like warcraft 2 maps and um like starcraft maps and i got really into duke nukem 3d maps and so I, I had this dream of being a level designer uh but when i went to college um i joined this like this little crew of folks that was making cell phone games this is in the year 2000 and they were making a massively multiplayer online text-based role-playing game for those nokia phones uh but like no one wow. had internet on those things so that the, the potential audience was like incredibly small uh and we didn't really do it was it was kind of it was just mostly just messing around playing warcraft 3 is all we did and then one right. guy from that crew got a job at blizzard on the night crew doing quality assurance and i didn't realize it but the school i went to blizzard was on the that school's campus it was on uci campus and so it was just like you know within walking distance of me the whole time i had no clue so I uh, once he once he got that job there, I, I worked at a pizza place and he worked the night crew. So there wasn't that many p- places open that late. So he would uh, call me and I would deliver the last the last pizzas out of there to Blizzard and get to meet all the people who were working the night crew. And that's kind of how I got my in and got started at Blizzard. That is amazing. I love that. Just the pizza guy showing up. Hey, I I can I can make games. I'm, yeah, I'm, up, Let's to, go. I'm up this late playing video games anyway. I can play games till 4 a.m. Yeah. It's uh... right. Well, so, so, okay. So this is like, your story is probably the closest to the like, like cliche desire of everybody that's out there, right? Like this is, you're literally like, you've got some, you know, some job that, you know, whatever is paying the bills you're, you're, you're doing some, and you, 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 you play video games for fun. That's what you want to do. And you like walk into Blizzard office. like, wait, you could just get paid to do this. Like, yeah. So, so so that, that transition must've been awesome. But, but the, 
I want to I want to dig into that to that role because the the QA role sounds awesome, but uh, there's a lot to it that I think people don't know, and I'd love to unpack a little bit of what is it like to make the transition. What does the QA role do? Like if people because this is a common route for people to get into the game industry, right? That's a kind of a low level starting job at one of these companies. Like what does that look like? And you know how does somebody get get that job and get other than delivering pizzas? I guess yeah. get well, I like, you can just you can just apply for a QA job. I, I, it's unclear that delivering pizzas was uh, gave me some massive. <laughs> advantage other than uh, like helping me realize that it is a job that exists and I could apply for it. So I, uh, it, it is, it is really fun. I really enjoyed QA. So I, I was a night crew. So we worked 7 PM to 4 AM. Um, and, uh, they don't have very many night crew QA jobs anymore. Uh, but, uh, uh, I really felt like a detective, you know, a lot of the time there's some bug or, or they know that they want some area of the game tested. You need to find bugs. You're like, okay, what if I, uh, polymorph this unit and then eat it with a Kodo beast and then polymorph the Kodo beast. Like what happens when the polymorph expires? Like, aha, the game crashes. What's up? You didn't think of that, did you programmer? Uh, And so it's kind of like, you feel like a detective, you feel like you're doing a, um, you know, like really interesting work. There are parts of QA that are quite uh, like uh, repetitive. So uh, sometimes they would give me a, 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 like a, a, a checklist and they're like, okay, cast every spell in the game against every unit in the game. And like, you know, you just look, make sure the graphics look correct. You know, when, you know, the, the hit targets are all set up correctly. When I worked on World of Warcraft, I had to run into every building on every side to make sure the collision was set up correctly. So you didn't actually <laughs> run through a wall or, you, had to, you know, make sure you could get into every doorway as a tauren because uh, they had the largest collision boxes. So, you know, that stuff is not like the most, you know, mentally exciting work. But it, uh, it was it was it, it was fun to like be productive and create bugs and then watch those bugs get fixed. Um and it was also a really like you know fun bonding experience, hanging out with a bunch of other folks, uh, you know, working on the same stuff and figuring out how, how to do these test plans and stuff. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So how much of it is this like detective? What I guess breakdown of like you know the okay, let me think of something that they didn't think of and figure it out versus the the kind of scripted. This is the test plan. Run through it. Run into every wall. It, do the thing. Do the. It thing. depends. It, it depends on the person because some people are are better or worse at different kinds of QA tasks. Uh, at least mm-hmm. it was, that was how it was when I was doing it. And there's a lot more automation these days. So like you know my <laughs> then there was there was literally zero automation. I think I made like a map to help me automate some of these things. I was the first person in, in QA to, to think about creating like an automated map to, to run the tests automatically. Uh, and it, so, so now like there's a lot more QA engineers, there's a lot more QA autom- automation, uh, but there's still, you have to go through and um, you know, okay, this bug, the, the programmer says it was fixed. I got to, you know, try and recreate the steps to do the bug. I verify that it was in fact fixed. And then, you know, we, or, or send it back up and say, Hey, this doesn't, this doesn't fix it the way you thought it was. So it's a, it's some of both. Okay. Okay. And so you're, you're going through this, you know, this QA process, you've got your, you know, in a sense, you've got your in, in this, in this, the dream job, but you, you, you're, what, what happens next? How do you, how do you move up there? I know you were doing some, some custom mods on your own or like, how yes, does that right. progression so go? I got really into, uh, I, I, I like making maps, uh, and they put me in charge of the map editor for Warcraft, the Warcraft three expansion on the Mac. So there was somebody else who was responsible for like the PC uh, editor. And so I had to learn, I didn't know the editor for Warcraft 3. And so I had to learn it and then, you know, test every feature of it. So in order to do that, I had to make a bunch of maps and, and really learn the tool. And so I started making a bunch of maps on my own time. I made a, a map called Worm War, which is like 12 player snake uh, that, uh, that the, the, the folks who worked on Warcraft 3 liked enough that they turned into a map of the week at the time. And I got really into it. I made a ton of maps and I, uh, 
uh, thought, hey, I could, I could do, I could be a level designer. And so I applied as a level designer on the StarCraft II team. And uh, they said, look, we're going to hire three people or two people, but we have three finalists and you're finalist number three. Sorry, you're not going to get the job. I was pretty bummed. Uh, and so I started working on like uh, some, some more submission materials. So the next time the job opened up, I would have like a, bu- a bunch of stuff to, uh, to show uh, that I, you know, I could really do this job. But then a new opportunity came up. Uh, and I was at the Ooh. time, I was like, look, I've done a lot of QA. I want to try something new. And the job was taking screenshots of, of uh, the Burning Crusade expansion for World of Warcraft and StarCraft Ghost. Because the, the people who worked on the dev team were like, you're tired of spending all our time taking screenshots for magazines. And so <laughs> I, that was my job, is taking screenshots of StarCraft Ghost and, and Burning Crusade. And I... I Wait. <laughs> Wait, you're you're basically like a like a on-site photographer inside of, yeah, oh my God. of Starcraft. Taking screenshots of Starcraft Ghost is the worst job, by the way. So uh, <laughs> the, you you have to set up a multiplayer game, and everyone's like, "Okay, you you stand over here and you fire now." Like everybody shoot, and then you hit the screenshot button, and it takes it actually rent because it's not like a, at a time like a, like a normal TV is not high res enough for a magazine. So it renders uh, the top left corner, then the top middle corner, then the top right corner. It does this nine times and then stitches them together into a high-res screenshot. But it takes so long that it like the game like lags and it disconnects everybody. So you get one shot to take a screenshot. And if like, oh the guy God. didn't fire when you said to fire or like you didn't take the screenshot in time, you got to start all over from the beginning. So it was uh, – it was hours and hours of like setting up these these screenshots. So anytime you see a screenshot of Starcraft Ghost in a magazine or whatever from way back in the day, it's likely I took that screenshot. Wow. Okay. So so these these stories are great, uh, just entertaining <laughs> on their own. But I also like to I like to uh, pull out you know principles and things that that people can can leverage here. And, and one thing that's coming clear to me is is your like your work ethic and tolerance for a lot of this grind uh, seems <laughs> exceptional. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm known for this. Sometimes people are like, "Oh, we could do that," but someone's going to have to like manually enter all that data. And I'm like, "Yo, I'll do it." I actually love this kind of task. I love repetitive uh, tasks because I get to zone out and. Uh, uh, it's, it's not glamorous, but I do enjoy it. Yeah. Is there, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a, it is a superpower. I mean, it, it's like, and, and I think it's just, it's just one of those things for people that, you know, if you finding the areas where you have strengths, right, where you're, something is fun for you that is painful for other people is the secret to like really finding great niches for yourself. Yeah. Like there's just, those skills are really, really important. So even if it's like, yeah, that, it, it, that actually has been the secret for me as a, as a CEO is like recognizing that that's out there, like the parts of the job that I hate, somebody else will love to do. Yeah, right. So I need yes. to go find that person. <laughs> exactly. Or just both this job. Yeah, you, you do the stuff you're really good at, and you find you find someone else who loves the stuff you hate, and it's a it's an yeah. incredible partnership. Yeah, yeah, super, super valuable. Um, okay, cool. So you're you're in. I didn't actually know that that part of your story. I knew the rest of it. The the the, the you're, you're you're the the StarCraft Ghost screenshot guy. I'm definitely yeah. going to go look some of these up, and I'll probably attach them to the email that comes yeah, with this uh, when I promote this podcast. Uh, and then uh, and then what uh, what happens next? Well, so that department, creative development, was uh, also responsible for licensed products, and so uh, we found out that um, the the uh, was the role playing game books for um for world of warcraft that uh when when they've been sending them for approval that like the artists the art directors had just been looking at the pictures and not reading any of it and just approving mm. it. and so we were like oh hey well, hold on let's just like make sure that like blizzard's actually happy with these products and uh so and, and that the lore lines up with the lore of, of what's what we're doing here and so uh we started to grow our licensed product approvals process 
to make sure that when people submitted stuff that we, we actually looked at it and reviewed it. And uh, pretty soon after I got involved with the approving of the, the RPGs, that was when uh, we got the, the pitch for the World of Warcraft trading card game. And obviously as a huge card game nerd is like my, my absolute dream come true. And that's, uh, that's, uh, that was my first taste of, uh, of gaming and, uh, uh, at Blizzard. Right. And this is, uh, this is where we get to meet, uh, since, uh, I was, uh, I was working on the World of Warcraft trading card game exactly. team there and, uh, at the, at, at Upper Deck at the time. And we get to start working together. Uh, and then, uh, and soon thereafter, uh, on the World of Warcraft miniatures game. Uh, yes. And, and man, what I, that was so much fun. I'm so, uh, sad that that minis game doesn't still exist because it was, it was awesome. I dude, I was so I'm so proud of that game, and we had so much fun working on it. I mean, like to the finest like details, and I want to I want to dig into some of that process. But you know, I I actually brought I ended up you know now I made a new minis game recently with the Ascension Tactics because I missed I missed World of Warcraft <laughs> game so much. I was like, I got I want to do another minis game. I gotta come back. So I actually yeah just recently brought it back because I I was oh, so much awesome. fun. I mean, TCGs are still like you know card games are still like like my heart and soul like yep, I, that's yep. the best but i love minis games you just can't like replicate that feeling of like looking across the board having all these badass characters like yeah. moving to each other's like dude i still just... have all my old armies from uh the wow the wow minis game man oh me too buddy you, <laughs> we gotta get together and battle i got them right i got them right here i'm ready to go i am ready okay we got a new plan after this oh man so uh, I want to, you know, it was so when I, you know, just kind of to reflect there, like, yeah, your your enthusiasm and your like, you know, just willingness to kind of dive deep on every feature of what was going on was something that really stood out to me. And we started working together. We just had just the best, the best time working through stuff. Um, and but I, I will say that the approvals process with Blizzard coming at it from the other side was very difficult. Yes. Um, it was a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, we were, we're a nightmare. Yeah, we were a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, okay, well, I'm glad you said that, not me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so let, maybe let's talk about about that from purposes of, uh, you know, kind of learnings, right? So like the things that went well or didn't and how you think about, because right now you're you're making a Marvel game, right? So yep. you're working on that as a licensee, yep. having to get approvals, and God. you've been on both sides of it. So maybe yeah. let's talk about what, yeah, what that looks like. so and, much better than we were. It's oh, my God. Mar- I don't know if Marvel's the same, because we did we did, a, we did a TCG, you know, we did the Versus yep, versus yeah, yeah, game yeah. Marvel, and Marvel was like the easiest approvals process of all time. They oh, were just yeah. like, here's all the stuff, go ahead, everything was fine. And then working with you guys, it was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, we just bashed our head against the wall. I remember... I don't know if it's worth sharing the story, but like the one time our art director, I'll keep all the names out of it, but, you know, comes into the room with like six different pieces that had all been like rejected. And it's like, can you tell me what the latest one is? Like, can you tell me, how do you even know why these were rejected? <laughs> oh my God. So yeah. So one of the lessons that we took away from that and that I'm a big believer in is, you know, brand Bibles uh, and yep, having the yep. ability to like be very clear about what are the things that are important in the brand? What are the things that yep. are non-negotiables? What are the assets and references? We didn't have uh, any of that stuff at that time. Oh, I know. We had to make it for you. Yeah. It was, <laughs> we, had to, we had to work with you to help make it happen because yes, we exactly. had nothing. Yeah. There was yeah. no, tur- there was no character turnarounds. Like how big is a gnome? I don't know. Like this is like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Play yeah, World big, Warcraft, yeah. I guess. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, we did. We had to make them for the minis. We had to make all of the different scales of everything yep. and put yep. them next to each other based on that. It was crazy. Oh God, I can't even. Like, it's like this is these are some great memories in retrospect. Oh, I remember they just must, bashing my head. Nowadays, can you imagine how easy it is to work with them now that they have all that stuff? They like, I'm yeah. sure they have like super professional licensing stuff now. Yeah, but we were just yeah, we, yeah. We, were, we were scrapping back then. <laughs> we, we had to oh, make yeah, you were starting that that division, right? It was yep. originally it was literally like you were doing you were doing screenshots, and someone was like, yep. "Hey, why don't we have someone actually some kind of process and approval system for our license things?" It was like, "Yeah, that's a great idea. It's <laughs> a great idea." Um, so 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 there was a great you know that was a great time and a great process, and 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 I I you know I certainly learned a lot during that window of you know working on world of warcraft you know the world of warcraft brands and trying to make them come to life in these other forms right what makes this an authentic expression of world of warcraft but mm-hmm. in a trading card game or in a miniatures game yep. um wh- how do you think about that sort of stuff now um again you can speak to it in in terms of your blizzard experience or your or the stuff you're doing like what what are the things you think are are the recipe for success or how do you approach these kinds of questions nowadays you know it's so interesting because so many of the things that i believed strongly in working on uh at least the world of warcraft trading card game i i came to realize we're just like wrong uh we had this moment at the beginning i remember somebody asked hey uh is it okay if armor blocks like nature damage because in World of Warcraft, you have to have nature resist for that. You can't use armor to block elemental damage. And we, I remember us thinking really hard about it. And uh, there, was a, there was a concept we were using called the ear flick system, uh, which was like, hey, uh, you know, there's a, you're on a bus and the kid behind you on the bus like, like flicks your ear. At first, you're like, hey, come on. And then they keep flicking your ear and eventually you freak out and, and just like you have all, you know, a battle with the guy behind you flicking your ear. And so the concept was like one little difference is just an ear flick, but you have too many of these things. And it's just people are like, this isn't World of Warcraft, you know, and they, they get they get upset. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I, in hindsight, believe the ear flick system. I think uh, <laughs> like, like players aren't like, wait a second. Armor shouldn't block nature damage. It's like not a, not a thing that pierces the you know their consciousness. If you if you declare something with confidence and say, look, yeah, armor blocks all kinds of damage, that players are like, okay, yeah, anything you say, sir. I, it doesn't even it doesn't feel. I remember us thinking, is it okay if you can cast bloodlust on totems because they don't have any blood? Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> Yes. Yes. No, well, this is this is great because I think it's like it's a really important thing when you're the way I look at it, you have to sort of capture the essence of the brand, the essence of the feeling when you're transitioning over. Yes. But yeah. especially when you're moving from something like a video game to a tabletop game, uh, but even like, you know, transitioning from, you know, PC to mobile or whatever, like you need to simplify and you need to abstract out. Otherwise, you're going to lose people, right? You, you just yep. can't. It's too much bookkeeping. It's too much challenge. And so a lot of those little things, right? Like, you know, in magic, you can put equipment on a snake and it's like, well, what the hell? Why is it? Why is this snake holding a sword? It doesn't make any sense. What's going on? You know, and like, and it's just like, all right, you know what? We're just going to let that slide because we need to, you know, we need the game to function. You, right? you don't so, have to, but if you want it to be very broad, you do. You need to. Right. That's an important consideration. 
Well, yeah, it's a, it's a trade-off of like the rules elegance versus the flavor kind of authenticity yeah, right. versus, yeah. you know, yeah, how how much is it how how hard is it to onboard to this system? Yeah. Yep. Do you do you have the you have the different kinds of pains of like, okay, well this is weird that a snake's holding a sword, but then another thing where like somebody just doesn't know that they can't use their equipment on yep. their reptile and it's like, oh, well, that was dumb and now my cards don't work and now I flip the table in the different yep. right? There's all kinds of different things that you have to balance in these situations. So, yeah. uh I find that really uh yeah, I just it's like it's fun like having worked on a variety of branded games for, you know, Marvel DC and World of Warcraft and a bunch of others like this process is always like an interesting thing compared to when you're starting and just doing your own thing. Um Yeah, at the beginning I, I was like let's make it really authentic. Let's like and now I think like the stuff that's the most authentic like the World of Warcraft board game is like a six and a half hour board game incredibly authentic world of warcraft experience on a board game that's the stuff i like the least actually i like the more abstracted stuff that gets right to the essence of, of the things. yes right well you have to answer the question you know why am i playing this and right. not the original right. thing exactly. right? <laughs> like if i want an authentic world of warcraft experience congratulations go play world of yeah, warcraft exactly. right exactly <laughs> but if i want something that's like a fun tabletop experience that had you know inspired by world of warcraft yes. feels yep. kind of like world of warcraft that's great and then and i think it just kind of like i always talk about the, this kind of you know you need to understand what the core of the core emotional core of your product or your brand is right the yes. core tension in a game or you know emotional core and, and if you can stay true to that your audience will go with you very far in yeah. a variety of different directions. All right. If you lose that, then you're off and, and you got to fix it. But the details of, you know, nature damage being blocked by armor and things like that <laughs> is definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely a different space. Um, so, okay. So we, you know, we got a chance to work together. We got to be able to really, you know, dive into the licensor licensee relationships. We got to bring the big things. I forget. Did you come out with us when we went to, when we went to China to do the minis inspections and the paint op stuff? No, I didn't. I went to that? the TCG uh, packouts, but not the minis. Oh stuff. yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were literally like pouring over, I wasn't yeah, pouring over like, okay, do we need extra, the, you know, dots of red on this <laughs> yep, shoulder yep. pauldron, right? Because they have these red dots for the trolls, and if they dude. don't have it, I'm like, dude, we can't afford it. We got to cut yeah, something. Right, Come on, yeah. what are we doing? It's... Uh, it was the most expensive prepainted minis <laughs> in history. I'm not kidding. They were the most expensive prepainted minis in history because you got to have this extra red sigil on the back of the freaking yep. pauldron. Okay, yep. cool. Um, anyway, it was great. They're beautiful, and they we should beautiful. definitely battle. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so let's 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 fast forward then, because obviously, uh, you know, the the World of Warcraft TCG was a was a key kind of starting point and inspiration uh, towards what became uh, the monster uh, that is Hearthstone. Yep. And uh, and I'd love to hear the, the the origin story of that and how you kind of got that ball rolling. Sure. Uh, before before we go into that, I want to say I was thinking about the minis game just recently because I was uh, I, I guess it wasn't that recent when when Ruterra came out because. Uh, Andrew, right? Wasn't he like? Uh, didn't he work on the minis game with you? Yeah. In the yeah, Yip was, was on our team. Of, yeah, he's in charge of. Uh, he was the design director on Ruterra, right? And I yep. noticed that the templating that we argued so much about on the minis game <laughs> showed up in Ruterra. The first person templating. Did you notice that? Yes. Yes. I, yes. I, I wondered if Andrew was just like, I'm. I'm waiting. Someday I'm going to use this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe explain explain a little bit to our audience what sure, we're talking right. about. So, like in normal card games, like uh, uh, you know, it says. Uh, Magic does this thing that I, I think is a mistake, but uh, they say like lightning bolt deals three damage to, to target, you know, creature or whatever. And then Hearthstone just says deal three damage. Uh, but like a lot of, you have to often write about things in third person, right? Like this card does this, right? Or, or do this thing. And uh, we tried for temp, I think for like uh, brevity of, um, of text, just using first person instead of saying, I do this. I have, you know, 
when I uh, am, you know, see a, this card, I gain flying or something like that. And it's much simpler, but for some reason, this was just like a, we had, we had, we had all out battles on this. <laughs> this is something I remember yes. most <laughs> about the minis development was this particular uh, uh, topic. Right. Yeah. So, you know, those were like personifying those characters saying, I deal, you know, you know, spend, spend four ticks because we had a tick system, timing yep. system, and everything was spent. You know, I deal five damage to five magic damage to, you know, at range three. Yeah. And, right. You know, there's like, it does that make sense, you know, and then, but it, it's, it's templating. Man, we could talk forever about templating because I, I love actually, that topic. It's I, so I, important. Yeah. It really is. It really is. And it's like, it's some of the nitty gritty stuff of, of design because you, you have a lot of different factors that come into play, right? The, the version or, you know, even if you're just playing traditional card games, the version just says, I do this to this, right? It just, it's as though you're reading it to your opponent and there's something clean about that. Yeah. The, right. Yeah. The targeting language and stuff for magic can be very precise, but reads like complete jargon yeah, nonsense yeah, to newcomers, yeah. right? Like, you know, that just, what the hell does that mean? And then the simpler, simpler versions that are much cleaner and more approachable, less scary, less verbose, they can leave a lot of open questions, yep, right? Yep. So you're not sure. So, you know, one of the things like when you're, it's a great, great things to contrast because when you're dealing something like Hearthstone, like a digital game, you need a lot less precision because yeah. the cards are just going to do what they're supposed to do. Yep. The rules engine is going to enforce itself. So yeah, simple what's is happen? way better. Just yeah. drag it out your hand I don't know. Let me play it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Done. Right. So you're, so the burden is way more on concision and simplicity and like yep. approachability versus completeness and, you know, comprehensive yeah, kind of, you're sitting you know, around a table jargon. and the card doesn't make sense. You just have to stop playing, you know, like it's just right. not. <laughs> right. Right. And, but, but a lot of these things are just conventions now. Like I've, I find myself in this trap all the time. So for soul forge fusion, uh, which uh, will also have just released by the time this podcast comes Ooh. out. So everybody can go check that out. Uh, uh, which is, uh, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, algorithmically generated, card game i did with richard garfield we we went through a lot of these questions and we uh, we got rid of the targeting concept we just we just let you know just you know deal three damage you can figure it out deal three damage to a creature or whatever like you can figure it out like people know this stuff but but the drive especially for my team but a lot of the people who are our target audience that their instincts have been trained by magic uh they expect certain kinds of terminology even though if you have not played magic it's nonsense yeah. um you know they they it's a, it's an interesting trade-off now where just the norms that have developed people you know you do you cater to those or do you try to do the thing that's more new player friendly it's it's really fascinating yeah these are such interesting decisions to make when working on when working on games it's there's so many of these really small decisions that like together in aggregate make such a big difference yeah, yeah, exactly. And you will spend, I mean, people do not realize how much time we spend on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, right, exactly. so much time debating <laughs> these things. Like, oh my God, you find templating meetings. And then, you know, when you have to do comprehensive rules and you need everything to function, I mean, in, yeah. in your digital game, like, it has to function a certain yep. specific way. And so I always try to, like, build even my tabletop games, like, okay, how would I make the rules for this so that I could program it so that it could actually yeah. have a digital part yeah. if I wanted? Really important. It just really important. You. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Hearthstone, uh, uh, the, the, how, how did that happen? So, you know, we were working on, um, you know, making a digital version of the World of Warcraft training card game at the time, and we took the, uh, the judge test, and the game director on, on Hearthstone, Eric Dodds, uh, failed the judge test, really understandably, because the, the totem rules for the WoW TCG were, like, were horrendous. Because we're because we're doing that thing where we're trying to match WoW, and we didn't want totems to be AOEable, but we did want you to be able to target them with spells. And so they were like spell cards that had health that you could target like spells, but couldn't 
be chosen at, when it said choose a choose a minion or something. It, it was just it was super complicated. And so uh, Eric Dodd said, "We will never make a game with these rules." And I was like, "What does that even mean?" <laughs> like, we, you know, there's like a whole team of people making the World Warcraft trading card game over at Upper Deck. Like, how are we? We're just going to like not have the same totem rules. Like, the number one deck in the meta right now is a totems deck. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Uh, and uh, uh, at the time, it was like it was like pretty scary for me to not kind of know what what where we were going to end up. But it was it was like really smart, I think, to realize like what the opportunity space was for for card games to just not like not have any rules that were like ah uh, I don't understand how does this work and just to like hey let's make totems minions right let's just make them like everything else you can AOE them down nobody cares uh and uh, right. uh that was and kind of the big- nature damage nature damage blocked by armor it's fine <laughs> yeah, it's fine nobody cares. nobody cares uh and then the other big moment was uh I went to Gen Con and played a game called Battle Spirits did you ever play Battle Spirits it sounds familiar, but I can't remember it. It's by it was by Mike Elliott. So uh, it's a uh, oh, uh, I, oh no no I did I know I know I do know what you're talking it, about. Yeah. So it it had a mana system that I had never seen before. You it had literal blue mana crystals, and you got one every turn. Uh, and then when you played your your cards, you actually like like the mana crystal stayed on the cards, and then damage was also mana crystals. So if you took a damage, you got an extra mana crystal. And if you hit your opponent three times, then you win. But the the moment of like hey, I could just get a mana every turn. I don't have to shuffle these these resources into my deck. Uh, we we played the WoW TCG with mana crystals. And we just said, look, take all the quests out of your deck, because that was one of the resource types, and just play it like this. And we realized a couple of things. One, the games were much faster, because the hardest decision you make is deciding which resource to put face down, which is like how resources work. You choose a card, put face down, it would become a resource in the WoW TCG. And uh, we just got rid, like that, we got rid of the hardest and like least fun decision. So games were double the speed. And the and also the game still totally worked. All the fun decisions were still there. So you got to play you know twice the number of games, and and so you could make, you know you get make less decisions per game, but the games are twice as fast. So you could play two games at the time you got to play you know one game before. And we said, okay, look, we we can make a card game that is much faster, much simpler than the WoW TCG. Instead of making the WoW TCG online, just make a new game. And that's kind of where. Uh, and then we and then we took the. We took the rails off. We just kind of went crazy. We tried some crazy stuff. We tried, um, you know, like really, really out there you know, things where uh, there was like castles that you had to blow down and then like a hero would, would jump out of the castle. Or so we tried a lot of different stuff, but uh, uh, that was kind of the genesis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's I mean, it's it's such a powerful realization, right? This idea that like, look, we can just make things simpler and get to the essence of the fun factor, yep. right? That there's so much baggage that comes with the assumptions of each and it's the one thing i advise new designers at all the times like simple is better like always try to yep. simplify like yep. the, the default assumption of designers is always just oh i'll just add this other cool thing and this is cool and this is cool and like you need to get rid of things that are cool that don't serve your core tension that don't serve the things that the most fun that get you out of the the thing that's most important and so well, it, was, it yeah. was really interesting but, we at the time we took a lot of heat because hearthstone was so much simpler people were like oh this is just like magic for babies you know like there's way less decisions per game I think people, at, the, at least at the time, didn't realize that uh, it's not about the number of decisions per game. It's the density of decisions and how fun those decisions are to make. And so, you know, I could play a game of Hearthstone in seven minutes, and it's just, like, hard to do that in a game of Magic. It takes it takes much longer. So I'm, I am making more decisions per game, but, like, am I making more decisions per minute? I'm not sure that I am. Uh, and, I, and that was, like, a, a, you know, a, a thing that I think really served Hearthstone well. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the, yeah, the value of like 
how you're targeting your market too, right? Like there's, there's, I think Hearthstone just captured this whole space of people for whom like, yeah, I don't have 20 minutes to play a game yeah. and I don't necessarily want to learn all of these arcane rules for a system that wasn't designed to be native digital. Yep. And I want to be able to just, but I want to be able to have that fun. Like is, is Hearthstone as deep as magic? I, I don't think so, but, yeah. but it, it's plenty deep yeah. to people plenty that deep. want to get involved plenty and deep. get yeah. interested, you know, get into it. And there's, and then it has all of these other advantages uh, of, of, you know, just ease of onboarding and accessibility. And, you know, like, I mean, I, I know, you know, we, we were going through, it's like we built the original version of Soulforge back during the same time yeah. period. And we launched and we were, you know, like at the time when we were coming out, it was like, we were the first real kind of game that was trying to be like native digital TCG. Yep. Yep. And we were way simpler than magic in a lot of ways, but we were way more complicated and clunky than Hearthstone. And that, Definitely, when Hearthstone came out, it just, you know, it definitely dominated the space. And it was a really fascinating, I learned a lot very quickly from what is possible in, uh, in Polish and, and getting at the essence. I, the way you guys did the draft format of like being able to just pick, pick oh, from yeah. three cards, pick think, from three cards. Yeah. I think that's the biggest uh, impact Hearthstone has had on the games industry is the, uh, is the arena mode. Uh, yeah. Both that, that, you know, the way you draft uh, and, and also the format of, you know, win, you know, nine before or 12 before you lose three. So many games have picked up that uh, like feeling of a run in that way. And that I don't I don't think that was done before Hearthstone. Yeah. No, I mean, we just we straight copied that for sure. It was just better. <laughs> it was just better. So so the so the so the, ex, explain them both in a little bit more detail, because not everybody that's oh, listening sure. will, so, will know what we're talking uh, about. Well, so at the time we, we knew that uh, drafting was just like one of the best experiences in in card games. And so we tried to figure out how to do a draft. But but like, you know, the, the normal draft and a, experience and a draft and a draft is when you don't you get the cards as part of the game experience, like you're opening yes, right. up packs. Everyone, or getting so, yeah, so everyone opens a pack. They take one card from the pack, pass the pack to their left, take another card, pass the pack to their left and so on until you have a limited pool of cards that you build a deck from. So you don't like, you know, get to choose from any card in the game. It's, it's like a more li- it's called limited because uh, you have a limited card pool. And uh, like, you know, in our experience drafting the WoW TCG or Magic, it takes like four hours. It's an hour to draft and like, you know, 30 minutes of deck building and then you got to play three rounds. So like, you know, it's a long time to, to do a draft. It's a huge time commitment, but super fun. And so we said, can we can we do this? This was actually Hamilton's uh, uh, challenge to, to the team. He was the uh, executive producer on Hearthstone. He's the CEO of Second Dinner of the company where uh, we started we started together. So uh, he said, hey, can we um, can we do an asynchronous version of draft. And so one of the things we tried at first was we um, we said, okay, we're, we're going to tape up envelopes on the wall and we'll number them like 15 to one. And you can open a pack and take a card out and then swap it with the uh, the envelope that shows how many cards are left in the pack. And then you go, you can just go down the wall kind of swapping cards, like taking a card from each pack on the wall. And then you can, in that way, draft a pack. And then the person who comes behind you can draft the packs that you've picked from. And so you can kind of do an ace. We had like three sets of packs. You could do three three uh, packs at once. And so in that way, you could uh, have a draft experience alone uh, without anybody else there and see packs that, that had been pre-picked by other players and kind of seeded by those players. And it was pretty fun. And we were like, hey, this, is, uh, this works. This is like an asynchronous experience. You could do the draft whenever you want. And then maybe you could play against, you know, somebody who has the same record as you, uh, you know, at any time that, you know, because it doesn't really matter about this. You know, you lose some stuff about like signaling and some things that are, you know, people like from, from drafts, but you don't lose that much and you still have that experience. And when we were doing that, we realized, you know, there's still a couple things that could be better. The first is uh, the very first pack you open is overwhelming. 
It's you have, yes. to, you have 15 options. You got to choose one. And, and it, it is a lot of implications, like which class am I going to go or, you know, which colors are going to go? And it's just hard to make that choice. And then at the end, there's no choices. They're like, okay, there's only one red card. So I take that. And there's only one red card. So I take that. And there's only one red card. You know, it's just like not interesting anymore. And so we said, look, wh- at what point do we find it the most fun? And we said, I think the most fun is when I have three or four choices. That's when I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. And so we said, what if we just curate this and show you three to four choices that are of your class? Uh, and so that's where we got the idea for Arena. Uh, and we, uh, we prototyped it up. And it was, it was super fun. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is way faster. And, and, and like more fun moments, like less overwhelming and less auto picks, more just like interesting choices again and again. Yep. No, that's that, that's right. It was such. It's just such a great insight, and it just speaks to the same core that we've been talking about this whole time, which is that you know how do you get to the essence of the fun yep. as quickly as possible and get out of the player's way with everything else. Like yeah. that's just the heart of really great, widely accessible game design. Right. Of course, it's a place for the the deeper, more complicated experiences. But if you really want to be able to reach a large audience, and I think just as a designer, it's one of the most powerful skills you can hone. Because even if you do want to make a more complicated experience, knowing how to get people to the fun and get the most out of every extra rule or component or nonsense thing you throw in there is really really critical yeah okay so i uh i think that there's this also other narrative i want to draw out from this which is like you i mean there's tons of phases and i don't want to spend all the time on hearthstone but during this period you come out as a an an outsized personality i think it's fair (laughs) to say uh, <laughs> and I knew you already, so I've I'd already seen you know beats from the Broad. I'd already like I knew <laughs> you and who you were. You didn't think I was going to bring that up, did you? <laughs> yeah. I, scrub, I scrubbed all my old raps from the internet like before oh, before people found them. That Wayback Machine still got my old website, but it doesn't have, they don't back up MP3s. So I was oh my god because that stuff you know was from a different era, man. It was uh, <laughs> yeah a lot of raps about sure uh, about booty, you know, like it wasn't yeah. <laughs> That's not who I am today. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, so what? What? Uh, what was the process like of putting yourself out there and becoming? You know, in many ways you were the face of of Hearthstone. Uh, it's certainly you know ma- a major one, if not the one. And uh, and and how did that role come about? What was the what was that like? What do you you know? And you know, how did you become uh, the the Ben Brode everybody knows and loves? Well, you know, it's it's I love. Community, I love talking to the community. Like when I would go home, I would, you know, to relax, I would go on Twitter and Reddit and stuff and talk about you know, Hearthstone. I just, I loved it. So it's something that I get a lot of energy from. Um, so I did it a lot. And um, and I was really passionate about it. I like, and I was living and breathing Hearthstone all the time. You know, I'd go home and play Hearthstone, talk about Hearthstone, and go to work and work on Hearthstone. So uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, I got, you know, I got a, I got a bad, uh, background in improv and acting. I like being in front of the camera. I like doing these kinds of announcements and stuff like that. So I, um, it was something I really loved. It also had a weird effect because, you know, this is true of, I, I, you know, Steve Jobs. I don't want to compare myself to Steve Jobs, but like, you know, Elon Musk, these guys who are like public faces of companies, is that they get all the credit for the work that goes on that thousands of people are doing. And they, don't deserve <laughs> anywhere, they don't deserve anywhere close to that much credit. And the same is true for me. I don't deserve, like, you know, I was one of 15 original Hearthstone developers it was not like my, I wasn't even the game director originally. I wasn't the lead designer. I was like one of the designers on that team. Uh, but, right. uh, you know, I get, I get a lot of credit, uh, more than I deserve. 
uh, for for my role in Hearthstone, and uh, you know, it was really a team effort. So that 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 part's weird. Uh, yeah, but it is fun. Well, to- I mean, you're, you're, yeah, you. Well, that's the thing. It's it's so clear that you love it and you have fun doing it. Like that's yeah. just it sums through. I mean, it's you know, I, uh, I I've I, whatever. I have a similar experience here, right? Like I, I tend to be the face of my company and do a lot of the public stuff, and I have a team of amazing people that do yeah. a lot of the hard work. And so it's it's important to to credit them and acknowledge it. And it's also just again, it's leaning into your strengths, right? You yeah, yeah. you know, you enjoy this sort of thing i mean there's people on my team who are phenomenal designers and they would hate to be yeah. doing interviews <laughs> like they, it's like the worst nightmare they could think of yeah. i'm like yeah sure let's go let's talk to press let's go hang out yeah um sweet okay so i i'm, I'm curious if there's other uh I, before we leave like the hearthstone piece like there's got to be you know any other you know great lessons because again i try to i try to you know for people out there that want to make their own games and tcgs or get their things you know any great lessons or fun stories or anything that you want to share uh from that time before we start shifting into uh let's call it second dinner yeah sure yeah so when I, we were first working on things there was like a a, a thing that we just used to always ask ourselves which is uh, what what if we remove this rule? Does the game uh, still have enough enough depth? It has it has you know every you can add depth by adding complexity, right? It's just like a you know it's easy to add depth. But uh, we we thought like is this is the skill level for this game above what humans can achieve? If it is, you have enough depth. If it's not, and people can actually master this thing, then it doesn't have enough depth yet. We got to add more depth. And uh, our, our belief was that uh, card games to that point had way more than enough depth, plenty of depth, and that we could reduce complexity and depth, but it would still be like plenty of depth after after that kind of uh, uh, removal of rules. And so we would do things like, what about instants? What about like instant responses? If we remove that, we remove a ton of depth. Is there still enough depth? And so we would play... Uh, with like what we call the basic decks, which is like cards that have no abilities. It was just like Chillwind Yeti and like a bunch of you know stuff like yeah. that. And we'd say, are we having fun with the basic decks? And if we were, we're like, okay, the game is still fun. And then is it, do we still think there's enough de- Like, are we making enough interesting decisions? If so, then we're okay. We, like we've, the fact that we removed this thing or this thing or this thing is it, we're still safe and the game is more accessible. Great. Yeah, that's a this is a great a great rule and principle to live by here. Uh as can if I remove this is this game still, you know, fun and deep enough and and yeah. and what what do I need this thing if so get rid of it oh, yep. or at least yeah. All right, I love it. Um so okay, so this is going to be a great now to transition to uh your new company and your new project and yeah. I'd love to know cuz I don't actually know the origin story of how it kind of got started. I saw, you know, saw the big announcements and everything, but uh what uh what what made you decide to kind of you were ready for the next thing? What was that like? Tell me tell me the story of the the transition out of Blizzard into into Second Dinner. Well, I you know, I kind of surprised myself because I'm not a very risk <laughs> I'm not a very risky person. I'm like more of a, you know, like less, less risk taking person. I get. So um, when the opportunity, like Hamilton and I, Hamilton's the EP on Hearthstone CEO of Second Dinner. When, he, when we started talking about the future in this way, uh, I, I just, it started catching fire within me, man. I don't know. It's just like I, I, my life to that point, I had imagined, you know, myself, uh, this is, you know, I, again, I'm going to compare myself to giants in the industry, not intentionally, but I imagine myself like Mark Rosewater, who has been doing an incredible job shepherding an incredible game for decades. That's kind of how I imagined myself with Hearthstone, was I would just kind of work on Hearthstone my whole life. Uh, and then when I when I was faced with the opportunity to do something different, I, I 
I got really excited. I, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of leadership management at Hearthstone. I wasn't creating cards anymore. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't like creating features. I was, you know, helping other people achieve their dreams and, and doing a lot of, um, you know, talking with the executives and stuff that wasn't like the most personally satisfying work. And so, uh, you know, I, I, just the opportunity to like get my hands dirty and, and create a new game, you know, it was a thing that I you know, had been at that time years since I was in that phase. And I got really excited about it. So, you know, Hamilton and I would, uh, would uh, you know, we couldn't talk about the new thing at work. So we would go, you know, work together all day. And then we would uh, go home and have dinner with the families. And then we would go out together for second dinner and uh, mm. talk about our dreams for, you know, what, what could be a, a brand new company. Right. Aha. Uh-huh. So we got the origin story for them. So, so. <laughs> So talk to me about those, those, you know, what do those conversations look like? And and then how does it go from second dinner, you know, just eating it to now, all right, we're pitching, we're raising money, we're making a thing really happen. So, uh, you know, one of the things that Hamilton, Hamilton had done a startup before, uh, before going to Blizzard. And he learned some lessons from that because it, it wasn't like a, I don't think they got even got funding. And I think the, uh, the biggest lesson he learned was make sure you got like a lot of alignment with your founding team because- uh, you know, if you don't, it, it could go, it could go really bad. And so we spent a lot of time talking about like, what, what are our hopes and dreams? You know, how, how long should we try and get funding for? And if our numbers are different, like, and I'm like, yo, I'll try for six months and I'm bailing out because I need to get some money, you know, and his is like, well, I'll try for three years before I'm, I'm willing to give up. Then at some point there's going to be like a split, right? How are we going to handle that? What does that look like? Who retains, you know, ownership of the assets we've created so far? And so there's like a bunch of stuff there that's like, you know, hairy stuff that's you know finances and um you know like what you know what you know what, what are your dreams long term like it's like it goes well what do you want to do then you know like there's a bunch of that stuff that's i think important to talk about up front and be really really clear with each other on uh and so we did a lot of of that category of stuff expectation setting really exposing our fears and dreams to each other uh, and that helped us i think set us up well that's wonderful. Yeah, that's such great advice. And I also, uh, yeah, definitely had learned that the hard way when I first taking on, well, you're taking on investors, right? They have a very, they have a specific expectations of what yeah. they want, yeah. right? And if you're bringing in investors that want you to, you know, go big or go home and, you know, put it all in and exit versus, or if, versus build a long time brand yep. that you're yep. going to support and shepherd for many years. Right. Like that was a, it was a thing I, I, I had to figure out with my company. Cause I'm like, I, you know, look, I'm not going anywhere. I love making games. I love my team. Yep. I'm not planning to go anywhere soon. So I need investors that are on for that ride if they're going to come along and, and be a part of that. So this is like with well, your founders, even more critical because you're, yeah. you're just going to be in the trenches together all the time. So surfacing hard discussions early uh, and working through those things and, and thinking about the worst case scenarios and the best case scenarios and how those play out. This is basically, this is not, by the way, for everyone listening, this is not just startup advice. This is relationship advice. Uh, (laughs) Side note. (laughs) Uh, The the relationship Uh, between founders is an important relationship. Yes, it really is. I mean, you're basically married, like, right. You spend more time with your founder working than you do with your spouse (laughs) for those first, like at least for those first several months to years, like that's just how it works. So yeah, this is great. Um, okay. So you, 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 you obviously eventually get aligned, uh, on this and you're like, let's do it. Let's take the, the plunge. Do you like, do you give notice to blizzard on the same day? Do you go like <laughs> trail it out? Like who are you like? Oh, talk me through that conversation. Do they try to talk you out of it? Like I remember uh, my quitting story. So I just, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to hear yours. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was really nice. So they, they were, you know, 
we I was there for 15 years. Hamilton was there for 10 years. So we had an incredible relationship with the with all the people there. Um, so they threw us a, a big party on the way out and they were just they were really, really nice. They they're, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for uh, the people who were running Blizzard there at the time. And obviously a lot of the people who are still there who I who got to work with. It was it was nice. I cried like a little baby on my last <laughs> my last day. It was, a, <laughs> it was really sweet. That's great. That's great. Okay. So, so then, then, uh, you know, I, I really want to spend uh, tons of time on the specifics of the design, but I, I'm really interested on the, on this whole process, right? So you're, what is it that you're, you're building, you know, what you're building out front, how much of this have you figured out? How much of this is like your fund, how long before you get funded in this process? Like the, what are these early days like? Yeah. So at the, at the very beginning, the first thing we did was, uh, you know, set up, set up shop in, in, uh, I have this little room, above my garage that uh, was originally going to be like a mother-in-law suite. Uh, but we didn't end up using it for that. And so uh, we had like, you know, just a couple, couple desks in here. And uh, actually the first day uh, we just had couches. We, we didn't have our computers didn't arrive yet. So we just sat on the couches and kind of daydreamed about like what, what kind of games we might want to make. We hadn't, we hadn't come up with any ideas yet. Cause we didn't, you know, at the time we were working for Blizzard, we, you know, anything we make at Blizzard is owned by Blizzard. So we just like, we're really careful about making sure that, you know, we didn't start thinking about any specifics until we'd left. And so we we were like, okay, what what could we do? What's the what does the future potentially look like? Do we want to make another card game, or do we want to make something else? Um, and there was two uh, really big moments really early on for us. So the first is that uh, while working on Hearthstone, we got to become really really close with the folks at NetEase, who uh, were our, our you know eventual investor. And uh, you know we worked with them for like a decade. And so when we popped out, they said, hey, look, we'd love to be part of your new thing. We really trust, like we had a relationship built on, on trust over a long time of working together. Um, they really just said, Hey, look, you can run the company the way you want to run it. They gave us a ton of freedom and said, Hey, here's, here's an investment of 30 million bucks for, for a minority stake, which was just like really, really super generous and really, really fantastic of them. They'd, they just wanted to be a part of something awesome, and so yeah, it's it's like an unbelievable relationship. Nettie's just like I just realized their- I need better friends. That's, uh, <laughs> that is, I mean, I got some good friends, and they would come through for a homie. Here, you know what? Here's thirty mil. Just we trust you. Go run, go run with the ball. That's they're, phenomenal. They are they are just the best folks, and and they're such like incredible partners. They've just been super super helpful across the whole thing. Like when COVID hit, they just sent us. Like it was hard to get masks here. They just gave us this massive shipment of medical masks and uh, like a ton of research on um, the, the work they'd done to figure out how to work, you know, remotely in, in an environment where COVID was was just popping up. They've just been like super homies. They're they're the yeah. best. They're fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's um, great. And look, and obviously you're, this is, this is, you know, on the one sense of joking about, you know, you get this thing, but like, you know, like building relationships over a decade or more by being a good person to work with, by doing good work, by consistently like showing up. And that is how you make things like this happen. Right. So yeah. like it, you set yourself up with this position through a long time of hard work and delivering and putting yourself out there. And so it's the thing like, you know, it's a, this is a, this is a 20 year arc, right. In a lot of ways yeah. to get this overnight success. Right. And, <laughs> and I just, I, I, I just, it's really, I just, I really like to reemphasize that for people because it is, it can be discouraging, right. When you're the pizza delivery guy wanting to live your dream and make your own games, it can take a while to get you there, but like it, it, it pays off. And and so it's, it's just, it's awesome. I'm just like, I was so happy when I heard about this and it's been exciting now to see it all start to come to fruition. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was very exciting for us too. Cause it happened really fast after we left. It was, you know, at the time, you know, we had no income, <laughs> like, you know, trying to figure out if I could make my mortgage payment every month, you know, it's like, <laughs> a little scary, but it worked out really well yeah. for us. Uh, and then, and then, uh, pretty soon after that, so the guy who who uh, runs Marvel Games, 
Uh, his name's Jay Ong. He used to work at Blizzard with Hamilton and I. So he, when he went over to Marvel uh, to run their games division, he said, look, I want to make incredible games. Every Marvel movie that comes out, you, you're like, oh, I got to see that because everyone's awesome. You have this expectation the next one's going to be incredible. And he, he's like, Marvel games should be like that. Every Marvel game that comes out, people should say, oh, a new Marvel game? I got to play it. And so he was yeah. looking for partners that would hit that bar, that would make, you know, like make people start to expect greatness from Marvel games. And he signed some incredible deals like that uh, Spider-Man game on PS4. So good. That was like one of the first deals that he, that he did. And uh, there's been a, just a, a lot of great, like the, the um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy game that just came out. Fantastic. And so he said, Hey, look, uh, you know, Hamilton, if you guys started a new company, I'd love to work with you to make uh, like an incredible Marvel mobile game. And so we, you know, from the very beginning kind of suspected that we might have an opportunity to work with those, those folks. And we were really, really lucky they took a big chance on us because, you know, obviously it's our it's our first game as a studio. And uh, and it, they like the team he put together is so good. I mentioned before that they're like incredible to work with. They're like they're like so good. The Marvel team there is absolutely like world class. I could not be happier. It, it feels like we're all one big team. and It's a real collaborative uh, uh, thing because they're just they're just wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, man. It's like working hard with great people to solve like interesting problems and make stuff you're really proud of. It's like, that's my recipe for a good life. Like it's just so <laughs> yeah, critical yeah. and so great. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And and again, that those relationships paid off. So, uh, in in so many ways that were unforeseeable back in the day and then all yep. end up, you know, coming together. Um, okay. So I've, I, I could, I could deep dive into all these stories forever, but I want to spend a good amount of time talking about your new game and grilling because yeah. this is a game design podcast. So we're going to get into game design of this thing that you made that I played a dozen hours of in one weekend. So let's talk about Marvel snap. Why don't we give, cause again, for a lot of people, it's just, it'll be out now by the time that this, this airs. So why don't you give a brief synopsis of, of how the game plays? And then I'm going to pepper you with a million questions. Sure. Okay. So it's, uh, it's a mobile first game. It plays really good on uh, iOS or Android. Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's three locations and your goal is to win two out of three locations and you play cards to locations that cost energy. It's like Hearthstone's mana system. You get one new energy each turn. You got to use it or lose it, but you got to, you spend your energy to play cards and you choose which of the three locations do I want to play my cards at. Every card has a certain amount of power and the more power you have at the location, the, the more you're winning that location. At the end of the game, if you have more power than your opponent at a location, you're winning that location. And again, you got to win, you got to win two out of three to win. So it, it's uh, the, the, the key thing here is that you're playing simultaneously. So while I'm deciding what moves I want to make, you're deciding what moves you want to make, and we reveal our choices to each other at the same time. And the, co the combination of these like locations and the, uh, like, the simultaneous reveal means you know, you're trying to kind of convince your opponent, okay, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to go to the right, and then your opponent like, bites the feint, and they're like, oh, no, I thought he was going to go right, he didn't go right. And, and so uh, you, you really need to like, just sneakily get two out of the three deploying your your cards perfectly to get you know to just edge over your opponent on that last location is a lot of the fun and strategy of the game uh right there's also the yeah. snapping mechanic which uh which yeah. is <laughs> yes this is my favorite my favorite thing <laughs> by far so so i uh so just yeah the so the core the core tension here is that that uncertainty around which of these three locations we're going to play at back and forth and a lot of the cards lean into it so that's where the a lot of the strategy comes from but let's talk let's talk about the snap yeah, so this was uh, this was Hamilton's idea. This is one of the first ideas. In, in fact, it might be the the first actual game design idea for the whole project because 
Uh, he said, you know what I would love is I would love a strategy game that had that that used the backgammon doubling cube to double yep. down on um, you know, whether you think you're going to win a return of the game. And I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. It sounds it's really simple and it sounds like it had a ton of depth. And so the first thing we did is we actually played, I just logged into public Hearthstone and I played the game and, at the, and Hamilton sat over my shoulder and said, okay, would you double this turn? And I was like, mm, I think I would double. And, it, and he's like, if your opponent doubled, would you concede? And I was like, no, I wouldn't concede. I'd stay in. And, and so we basically played with the snap mechanic just verbally over a game of Hearthstone. And we're like, yo, this is actually really fun. It's like, it adds this really interesting level of bluffing that's that and 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 doubling down. It's really interesting. It's it's uh, uh, you know really a really different experience and and really simple but really fun. Yeah. So this was the thing that got me like for sure. So like the the the, the play cards to three different zones have the most power in those zones. Like I've seen that before. Like yeah. I've seen all of that before. Right. So, simultaneous play. Like nothing was like it's cool. It's well executed. But it's like. Okay, I've seen it. But the doubling cube is instantly like everything is like fun and awesome because you now as a player, you now as a player, you have you have a very important thing, right? Because just the, the difference is like you get one point for winning this game versus you get or, or, or you know win or lose one point. Your at stake is one one point versus two. Okay, that game is twice as important yep. immediately, right? And if your opponent thinks that they're winning and you think you're winning, now it doubles to four, and there's an yep. automatic last turn moment if the if you win in the if you play it all the way to the end of the game the game has goes over six turns typically if you play all the way to the end of the game then it automatically doubles the value at the end of the round so you have the option to retreat at any point and so there's this if as a as a a strategic player who you know the basics of the game like maybe they've already you know there's there's not is not as 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 deep for them now all of a sudden it's immediately deep because you now have to judge at every moment how much you think you're winning how much you want to stay in it and that will very much be the biggest factor in your in your uh ranking in the long run because one game could be worth eight times what another game is worth and you're way better off running away while it's worth one if you if you win thirty percent of your games, but the games you win, you're winning eight cubes, which is the ranking points in the game. It's how you get higher rank. If you win eight cubes per per win, you're you're gonna and, and only lose one cube and you lose because you were treated you know strategically. Uh, then you're gonna catapult up the ranks. But if you win seventy percent of your games, but you lose eight cubes every time you lose and win one every time you win, you're moving backwards. It's super yeah. important to like strategically retreat or or bluff or try and get every cube you can at every game. Yeah, so this is another just great little design insight, right? Because this is where you started, was you took a classic game mechanic that has existed for centuries. I don't know how long Backgammon's been around, but forever. And taking it and bringing it forward in a new context. And that is, I think, just like a a great strategy in general for people that want to make designs, right? There's tons of great mechanics out there that just are not, you know, I don't want to play Backgammon. I don't find Backgammon that fun, but I find TCGs really fun. Okay, cool. Here you go. Now I take the best part of Backgammon, add it into a nice little TCG with a cool brand I love. Like, that's a pretty good recipe for success. Uh, yeah, we, we, when we were trying to figure out what to do, we off, often what we do is just play other games and there's something, you know, we, we're not, we're not copying other games, but we're, we're like finding mechanics that we're like, oh, you know, this blended with this other thing creates something totally new. Yeah. Well, all, all creativity is theft. Like, yeah, let's yeah. not, you know, don't kid yourself. Like if we're not, nobody is innovating. It's, you know, all, you're taking, you're taking different mechanics from different places, but you're presenting it in a new way and yes. you're genuinely creating a new experience. Right. Yep. So it's not, I think that that is exactly the way that everyone designs, uh, whether they want to admit it or not. Like you're, yep. you're taking other elements and bringing them together in different ways. That's, that's what creativity is. So I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and I think that the, you know, I, I think that the, one of the interesting choices for, uh, that I wanted to dig in on, cause again, the, the, the card draw and the card play is all, you know, stuff we've seen before the the fact that each of the 
locations has a special ability or or effect and they get revealed one at a time over the first three turns but they're they're sort of general like you don't own them they're not in your deck they're not in your opponent's deck they're sort of these general pool of cards talk to me a little bit about that design process and choice because i thought it was very interesting yeah well the, the ramifications of this are actually humongous because uh mm-hmm. every game is different so there's about 80 locations and there's like three per game so you just don't know what it's going to be each game and, and you know card games in general have this uh, effect where you have to you have to like make a lot of content because they get stale over time pretty quickly right as you know i'm playing priest and you're playing mage and i played you like you know 40 times like it's i'm not solving new problems i know how this is going to go i know what cards are important to me i know what cards are important to you and i'm just executing right i'm not solving anything new and that's why like the designers need to continually release new new cards to create new problems to solve in a, in a new meta and when when the uh, locations are uh, you know, totally new and unique each time, it, it means that even if I'm playing the same deck over and over and over again, the experience I'm having is different every single game. I have new problems to solve. I've, you know, we played against each other a bunch, but never at the Raft and the Baxter building and the sewer system. How do I play my deck differently against your deck in this scenario? Every game is totally unique and different with, with uh, this kind of random seating of locations to, to start. Yeah, and so I think that then that that seeds well into this, what looked really interesting to me in terms of the kind of sales model of your game and how it uh, progresses, because it doesn't look like you have traditional booster packs anymore That's in right. this game. So, so maybe talk a little bit about how that works and how you acquire cards and how you progress and like the because it, it's clear a lot of thought went into this whole thing yeah so uh, i'd it, love to think no more way more thought went into this than the actual design of like the, the, the core game plan because oh yeah, oh, you know, yeah. We, we talked about you know creativity is theft there, there's not really any other game like marvel snap when it comes to the meta progression so you know we look there, there's there's less cards there's only like you know 180 or so cards and uh and they're not you can't like if you have a very few number of cards the way that other games monetize they let you upgrade the cards they get more powerful right like clash royale does this as you as you get more copies they get they get stronger right uh but because of the way our game works we just feel like you you can't really do that right like the numbers if the numbers are changing it it, it screws with the balance in a way that's just kind of untenable and the math gets really hard so we said okay we can't do power progression that's not an option uh and so like, there's not really any other game that has a small number of cards and doesn't use power progression. We couldn't really think of one. Uh, and so we had to come up with a, a whole new strategy for how to you know, get players to unlock new cards. Uh, none of yeah, the other things <laughs> work. This is fascinating to me because, yeah, I, I am, I am also like, I'm, I'm also just naturally turned off by those games, like the, the kind of, you know, Clash of Clans and those kinds of, or Clash Royale, where they just like, okay, you've played longer, your cards are just more powerful than yeah, mine. Yeah. I could play the exact same card, and yours is just better. It just, it takes something away from me as the like kind of pure game spirit like i don't care if you know variants i want you people to win i want the worst player to win sometimes but just that like you just you just out bought me and just had better cards always yeah, feels right. like uh like bad and so the fact that you stayed away from that it was a bold choice that i i respect a lot and and so so but as a business you need to get people to to, to bend you know to yeah, actually right. want to play and spend it's, so how do you solve it's that it's in uh it's in everyone's best interest the players and the developers that like it's worth making this game right like <laughs> if you right, like right, yeah. you, you don't make money the game shuts down and nobody gets to <laughs> right, play so yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, we tried a lot of things actually. So, you know, one of the big inspirations was Pokemon Go because Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. I think proved that you can have a game that's entirely focused on collecting 
and has you know very little actual gameplay, and it's still incredibly fun. And so we said, okay, how can we how can we create a system where you know you're, you're, you could make like in Pokemon Go, you could buy more incubators, you could buy lures and and incense, and like that's fine because because you never meet somebody else who plays Pokemon Go and say. Oh, did you like just buy all those Pokemon? Like, no, you you earned them. You know, you 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 may have spent money to earn them faster, but you had to put in the work to get those Pokemon. And that was kind of a model I felt I felt like you know could really work for us, which is that you know yeah you can you can get cards faster if you spend some money, but you gotta you can't just skip. You can't just get to the end. You can't buy a pack and say okay here's all the cards you got them. You gotta like work to to get the cards. Um, and so that was kind of like our our imagination we didn't have a solve for it yet but that was the kind of platform we were looking forward how do we make it so you have to work to get the cards but you can pay to speed it up a little bit okay great and so then so then that uh it, it, you know it ends up coming through with like you know the the, the ui ux for is really slick and 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 moves through but it came it comes through with like a lot of little pieces right there's a bunch of different resources there's like a there's like a kind of a boost resource for the specific cards there's resources you use generally there's like you know a few normally it's pretty common to have like two currencies in a game you have a thing at least three or four like yep. maybe just unpack that a little bit how did that design process go because I, I just find it really fascinating uh, so we, you know, we, when we first, I mean, we went through so many iterations of like, how do you earn cards? That was like the hardest problem we, we, we went to solve. We, we had something that worked a little bit like Warcraft garrisons from, uh, the, the expansion that had garrisons where you'd send, we had like heroes you would level up and then send them on missions and then they'd bring back cards for you. And you would like spend all your time, like leveling up your heroes to go on these missions. Uh, we had a sphere grid at one point where you were like slowly making progress over a sphere grid to unlock all the cards. <laughs> there was something cool about that, but, uh. Uh, there was also some and, what, and, 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 and un- unpack for me a little bit, like what this process, cause I like the iterative design process is something I reinforce all the time when, yep. you know, on the podcast and my book and everything. And like, how are you iterating? Like walk me through what it's like when you're like, okay, we tried this, we had this idea. You actually like program it. Do you do like, you know, you, you talked about in the Hearthstone story, you were testing this drafting mechanic using folders on the wall. Yep. Like wh- how do you know when you're on the right track? Like I I'd just love to unpack some of the, the nuts and bolts of working through like uh, what is, yeah. What I d- identified right away. was like the hardest, most interesting part of your, of <laughs> yeah. your, your game of getting this done. Right. Well, well the, the trick is to learn as much as you can, as quick as you can. So if you can like, you know, use paper prototyping to learn a lesson, you know, quickly, cause it's really easy to cut up some paper and write some things on a, on a business card or something. Uh, then yeah, start there. But, but, uh, you know, if you if you can't because it's you know more complicated than you can achieve in, with paper, then yeah, I would code something up or you know do something in Unity or you know draw something myself or you know ask ask for help to get something done as quick as possible. And then the thing about game design is you cannot tell if a design is good or bad by talking through it. You must play it, and then it's immediately obvious to everybody who's played it if it's good or not. And and then you can you know decide to move forward or or you know go back into the drawing board and retry again. Yeah. Well, when, and when you're talking about these progression trees, in a sense, it takes it takes quite a while to to get that feeling, right? Because you're it's you know we're talking about now designing the game around the game in a sense, right? That yes. We, we, we yes. spent a little time on the on the heart of the like, what does a match look like with an opponent, and why is that interesting? But that this is a whole other level of okay, what is the game of collecting cards and leveling up and the feeling of progression, and that in this of necessity you needed to take a certain amount of time yeah. to get the feelings right so how is it is it literally you're testing it over days or weeks or are you just accelerating the timetable and kind of gut checking it like what does that feel like yes so uh 
this was one of our biggest kind of uh, learnings on the game is we started out just doing like weekly play tests where we would just play all the time ourselves and we realized we needed, we needed help. And so we started doing like friends and family tests where we invite some players in and we would run the test for some number of months. We would learn a lot, but the, like the rev on, um, you know, just like, like a new, like doing something new and trying something else when it didn't work, it took a long time because it took like months every rev. And so once we got, uh, we built some, some AIs that were fun enough to play against, we just started uh, uh, filling the pool of matchmaking with AIs. And that let us like have really like, you know, there's someone to play against all the time. So just like as the designer, we could go in and say, okay, I'm going to pretend like this is a real, you know, a new account. And like, how does it feel to collect cards? And I could do that over the course of a week with no, I didn't need to schedule a play test or have a bunch of people, you know, chime in. And that let us uh, increase the pace of iteration much, much faster. And that's where we made, I think, most of the progress towards the model we ended up on is is through uh, this kind of AI fueled uh, multiple playtests a day thing. Got it. So the AI, if you have AI opponents available at any time, that allows you to go through the emotional experience of playing and completing your quests and moving from or seeing what the what the different uh, progression trees are exactly. From, but you did that at the normal pacing. So I would go through, try to feel what it's like hypothetically in a, a normal first week of ex- play experience you kept that pacing the same but you just accelerated right. we by tried, creating we tried pump. the other thing i actually had a, like a system where you could like hit a button to skip an hour you know so you could see like mm-hmm. t- timers felt and stuff and it just didn't it never gave us the the same feelings that doing sure. it at the normal pace did um and so we would just play like the first three days over and over and over again and then sometimes we play the first week or something but it you know it, t- it. took real time to do that yeah, and so yeah, so your so your primary focus is what does it feel like during this first whatever three to seven days, and then yeah, exactly. if, if it felt good there, then then you know you're on the right track. Exactly. Great. Okay. Awesome. Uh, this is this is really great to dig into because I think that it was it just felt really good. I mean, that part to me felt really good and interesting, and I re- I agree with you. I don't think I've seen a game that that progresses like this, uh, and and it's and it does something that also was kind of interesting. I found. Uh, the that you you know your progression is like turning your cards into alternate art cards or or into you know frame breaks or 3d cards or and that that might not be something you care about as a player but you do because that's the key to progression also so you get this like the kind of collector that just wants to see their cards be cool and then the collector that wants to move up the the track and the progression guy and all ties into the same system which most games don't do either right there's two different tracks typically there's like oh i care about pretty cards and oh no i want the most powerful thing or i want to complete the story or whatever so what uh, uh, how did that come about yeah we we, at the very beginning said look cosmetics don't sell well in games it's just not like a thing that that you know most like there's there's exceptions right like you know a lot of people point to fortnite or league of legends but for the for the vast majority of games it's like a huge exception people just don't spend money on cosmetics so we, we said let's if we sell cosmetics let's have them have a gameplay impact. Let's have it, you know, be a thing that that actually matters to your gameplay. And then, you know, it's not foolish to invest in cosmetics. And so we didn't get there all the way with with some categories of cosmetics, at least not yet. But I think I think it's uh, for for this upgrading path. We really thought it was cool to like hook it into the core loop. So the core loop is you play with a card, you get some boosters for that card, you use those boosters to upgrade the card. That gives you collection level. And then all the cards in the game are on the collection level. So if you want more cards, you just got to up your collection level, get new cards. You, you upgrade those with boosters. You get more collection level, you get some more cards. So it's kind of like a, a you know a virtuous cycle 
but it yeah, it, it it takes you through the path of upgrading cards, and it gives you some you know some small sub goals, and you feel like you're making progress, and you feel like your 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 cards look because they do they look they look incredible as you upgrade them. Yeah, yeah, definitely, it's a, it's a cool thing, and gives you it gives you a visual hook uh, as you're moving through. Um, because I agree, yeah, I'm not the kind of person that's going to spend money or time specifically on the cosmetic piece. But I was like, if I can just get it as part of my normal progression, and that's that feels really good. So I yeah. thought that was a really a really interesting choice. That that was really cool. Um, and so, and then uh, the other thing, it seems like everything, you know, the sort of mission progression and these kinds of things, and this stuff has been done before. But there's there's a degree of like you know lots and lots of different little missions and quests and things that you could do and win games with this card or play this many four cost cards or do all these things right so that seemed to be a pretty deep well of little achievements and little mini goals yeah and so how do you think about those kinds of designs and, and making something that's like enough stuff for people to do but not so much that it's overwhelming and pacing it out over time and like how do you think about that piece? oh man that stuff is just we went through so many iterations on that stuff because it's uh you know you can really easily end up in a space where there's not enough stuff for players to do and you can also end up in a space where the game's overwhelming. And uh, so some of these systems, you know, uh, are designed to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, players you know, make a lot of progress and like, you know, hey, if you don't get enough credits to upgrade your cards, you're, you're just not going to be, you're not, the game's not fun, right? You need, we need like a certain pace of content. And then we also need, a, you know, something to spend money on, which in, in, in this game, you could spend money on getting more credits per day if you want to. So you can move a little faster than the players. Um, so, you know, we need to make sure what, what is the daily amount of credits you can get? What is the amount you could spend? Uh, having you know a refresh daily mission system allows us to tune those things pretty effectively. It also allows us to be really kind of uh, careful about uh, how often you come back to the game and have no goals because you completed all your missions, right? If we refresh missions every eight hours, then you know very likely every time you come to the game, you got something something to do, some goals, you know, some short term goals to achieve, some medium term goals to achieve, and some long term goals to achieve. So uh, yeah, we just we just like a lot of a lot of like little polish, right? We start out with this, and like, what if you have this many missions? What if they refresh this time? You know, because it's easy if we could we could have the same system drop the same number of credits, but like every mission gives you half the amount of credits, but you get twice the missions, right? So like, or or we have one mission, but it gives you six times the amount of credits. So you know, just it's all feel. It's all just kind of gut. Like, does this? Do I have the right amount of goals, or should I add more goals? Okay, well, so then, then that's that's another great piece of this, like the because as you develop digital games, you have a lot of tools available to you that are not so much in the tabletop gaming world, where you can get lots and lots of metrics, right? You can get yep. lots and lots of data, but you just you know you made the comments like it's all gut here. Yeah, how this, how this do you how do you hard to get data on it? On, right. is, this, is this fun you know especially because right. you can get data on retention and stuff, right? Like our players sticking around, right? They like the game, but like. Are, is it because of the mission refresh time? <laughs> like, <laughs> like getting right. specific information on on like something like this is really hard to do effectively. You could do yeah, A/B no, tests that... and stuff to try and, but like you know, you, you can't A/B test an audience that doesn't exist. You've got to right. you've got to start you know with some hypothesis and like you know just give it a shot. And that's that it comes down to gut at the beginning. So what? Yeah. So then you know you haven't gotten into this phase as we're having this conversation, but you will be when people are listening to it. So what does the what does that process look like once you're live right what is it you you obviously went through this with hearthstone so you know when how much does it shift from okay it's just got to be gut because i don't have an audience so i gotta figure out what's fun to the okay no no we're gonna uh, on day two we're starting a b testing on day you know here's this 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 metric is the target we're looking for like how much of that changes how much of that is still just going to be gut like i, I 
what is what is what's what's running a live game look like and you know what pace of change does that come with how much do you have to drop new content in the system where you you've designed like all this stuff's pretty fascinating you can take any any piece of that you'd like yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna actually have I think the fastest pace of content of any trading card game, which is that we're gonna release a new location every week for you know we have a ton of locations in, in the in the hopper basically, and uh, and we're gonna release a new card every week if at some point if you know once we can figure out how we're gonna drop new cards, but we want to like have like that's that's really fast you know it's not, you know most most uh, games have like an expansion every three or four months and so we're trying to you know have stuff come out all the time I think it's really important to have uh, you know just a lot of new content. Um, yeah, it, it should be overwhelming because it's not, it's only one card a week and it's still only 52 cards a year. If you do a card every week, you know, just right, right. So it's card. way, it's way less content than yeah. almost every TCG in yes, aggregate, right. but it's way faster pace right. of new stuff getting thrown into the game. Exactly. So that is, that is fascinating. It should, it should feel constantly fresh and exciting is, is the idea. Uh, and, and, you know, when it comes to making decisions on like, what do we do next? And you know, what is, what's working, what's not working, we are going to use a lot of data to refine. So, you know, we have a lot of information about, like, where do people fall out of our tutorial, right? They're, you're, they're, we don't call it, it's like the introductory missions or whatever. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people are coming into the game and they're like, oh, okay, uh, I played through six turns. Then I'm like, yeah, it's not for me. I'm out of here. And so if we can fi- use data to determine, like, hey, there's some players who would really love Marvel Snap, but there's, like, a confusing moment in our, in our introductory mission. Like, data helps us realize that and then fix that and make it no longer confusing. So players aren't bouncing off that, that turn in, in the introductory missions. Uh, but at the like for for things that are harder to, to quantify in data, we use we use a, a combination of things. We use our own gut, which is a very powerful tool. It's important to like you know listen to your gut. We use data, and we use player set like player feedback. Right? There's you know once the once the game goes live, people are are talking a lot about what they hate about the game, what they love mm, about the game. People love to talk about what they hate about the game. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. More more what they hate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, that's, that's a really important thing and you don't always get the exact solution from, from players. Sometimes you do, but, uh, trying to figure out like, where is this coming from? How, what, and what are the solutions that we can employ and using data to help inform, you know, what are the most important pieces of feedback that we're hearing from players, uh, and, and, and helping drive solutions as well is, is an important thing. Yeah. No, there's a Neil Gaiman quote that I, I say on the podcast all the time. It's one of my favorite quotes from my favorite author. And he's talking about, you know, writing, but he's just said the same applies to game design. So, you know, if your reader tells you that there's something wrong in your story, they're always right. If they tell you how to fix it, they're pretty much always wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and so that you know, if you get the feedback, not that one person complains about one thing, but if you get consistent feedback from a lot of people that there's a problem, there's definitely a problem. And the job of a game designer is to figure out what to, how to fix it. Right. Yep. You have to find a way to bring that solution forward, uh, even though the 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 specifics that your audience is going to tell you to do will often be the thing that destroys your game if you actually gave them. <laughs> <you wanted>. uh, <laughs> uh, but uh it's 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 awesome man i mean i i i i could i could dive probably for another hour or two into each of these pieces but uh i want to uh it, it's just such a fun process and like it, it's the thing i love about a lot of the the thing that's run through this whole you know this whole chat about you know really boiling things down to the simplest essence of what's fun and i think that came through in hearthstone relative to anything that came before it i think Marvel Snap, I would say, is way simpler than Hearthstone and yep. has that same, you know, that is going for that same thing. Like, where, how do I get these interesting decisions compressed together in a way that feels fun, that wants me to keep coming back? Um, and and it's really, uh, I think, I think you did a you did a great job. I was I'm, my 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 hours played uh, speaks to that uh, anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's it's kind of wild. Like, it was hard to believe that we got 
like a satisfying collectible card game experience in like our games average three minutes. And it's like, it, <laughs> if you haven't played Marvel Snap, it's hard to imagine what that actually feels like, but it is, it's pretty wild. It's, it's not something I, I thought we would be able to do. Uh, and with a yeah. game this simple, it's, it's uh, a surprise yeah, to have very, achieved. very light accessible. Yeah. Somewhere between like what you would expect from a card battler and a real TCG, like yeah. a full, full TCG. And it's like this interesting interplay that you I think you found a great place to land. Um, and so it's like, it's just, yeah, I always, I always just think about the different kinds of audiences that you want to target, right? Who is it you're going for with these games? And so do you, do you have that? Like, you know, what's your kind of persona of the people that you think are like going to love this the most? You know, it's so interesting. People ask me this question all the time. And I, it's such a, it's such, it's so antithetical to the way I think about game design, because I, I feel like when, when I think when people talk about what audiences they're, they're like going after it, it's such uh it's like the way to never break in, like create new audiences. You know, because Hearthstone, mm. if, if we had said, like, we're going after the card game audience, Hearthstone would have been much smaller, right? There was no, like, you know, it massively grew the card game audience. The audience was, I don't know, a brand new audience that doesn't exist yet. And, uh, you know, so when, when I think about the audience for, for Marvel Snap, I think people who've never tried a card game before, people, you know, who maybe Marvel Snap will be their very first card game or their first video game. And our goal is to make something that is both incredibly accessible to people who haven't tried this kind of game before, but also super fun, even people who are hardcore into card games and trying to achieve both at the, at the same time. All right. Well, that's a great uh, and ambitious answer. So let's <laughs> let's 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 dive a little bit into into user acquisition then, because yeah. that's the piece, right? You were saying one thing to say, okay, I know I'm gonna just I'm gonna take all those old Hearthstone players, bring them over to my new game, right? And it's another thing to say I'm gonna bring people that would never think to try a game like this and bring them in. How do you do that? Well, you know, a big part of it is visuals. So, you know, we, I didn't know what Twitch was when I was working on Hearthstone, right? It just, like, came out of nowhere for me. It was not a thing I was aware of. But we did talk a lot about the over-the-shoulder appeal of Hearthstone. We wanted – because we knew that people are just, like – the impression for a lot of folks was card games aren't for me. They're too complicated. They take too long. And so we said if we need to subvert expectations. When you see Hearthstone, you just think, what is that? That's not like anything I've seen before. And so, you know, for Marvel Snap, really the same thing. We made a game that I think looks absolutely stunning. The cards are unparalleled. They look just like, you know, they have this cool 3D effect that works with your phone's gyroscope. It's just like, it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, I think that hopefully will encourage people who have been put off by other card games to give this game a try. But I think, you know, if we, if we had if we'd skimped on visuals or something, I think it'd be much harder for us to go big here. Got it. Yeah, just so drawing people in with something that looks appealing. Obviously, the Marvel license does a lot of work here oh, too, yeah. right? Huge. People are going to click on a Marvel thing much faster than they will on something else. So, so there's a lot. Yeah, you're 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 well positioned to to bring people in in that sense. And and I think it's a, another thing for designers. Just they they underestimate a lot of times how much because as a game designer, you can often just be in the the pure mechanics of the game and yep. the interesting decisions that you're making. But the visuals matter. The little effects matter. Like, you know, as, as we build digital games, like how much you invest in, in the kinds of animations and the flow and making things feel like intuitive, it makes the game better. It makes the whole experience yeah, better. Way better. Animations and VFX. Our VFX team is so, so talented. And it really does make the game feel simpler because you don't like, you know, the, the, I don't know, you've, you've had the experience of, of playing a card game that has no visuals and you just have to like understand every card and exactly what it's doing. It's, it's, but when you, when you play the card and you see the fireball, you know, come out of the card and hit the other card and then it gets destroyed, 
it's like it's so much easier to understand both the fantasy of what's happening and the actual like rules of what's what's occurring in the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll take an example from your game, actually. So, like, you know, the uh, Mr. Fantastic has an ability that gives a bonus to the adjacent lanes. And when you play it, the, his arms stretch out and, like, punch <laughs> the other lanes to increase the numbers. Yep. And it's like, okay, you now, like, it tells the story for you in a way yep. that you, you know, you could have told it in your head before. And, right, good design does that on the, on the cards. But the visuals and the, the animation really does does a ton of the work. So, yep. so it's really cool. Okay, man. I uh, I know uh, I know I could keep going on for a while, but we're we're running out of time. So I want to live, give you a chance. So we've already talked plenty about the cool new game, and they could download it on the app stores, uh, Google Play, and iOS app. How uh, I'm, I there's got to be fun places they can come see you talk and say things. So wh- where should we direct people if they want to see more Ben Bro? They've not gotten enough Ben Bro. <laughs> Well, I, I'm on Twitter most. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and at bbrode. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel where I have some some uh, some silly raps from my from, that are more modern. That are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, <and laughs> I shouldn't tell everybody I downloaded all the old beats from the bro now, huh? <laughs> uh, what, what, do <laughs> what do you think I could get? What do you think I could get for those? Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. Ben, you know, I, I'm so glad that we did this and you came on. I have, uh, I think this is the most I've laughed in any of my uh, podcasts. And it just reminded me how much I enjoyed working with you and enjoyed having you as a friend. And so I'm, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say next time, let's, uh, let's get together and, and have that, uh, wow. Minis battle. Yeah, uh, dude, it's, like it's long overdue. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to support the podcast, please rate, comment, and share on your favorite podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever device you're listening on. Listener reviews and shares make a huge difference and help us grow this community and will allow me to bring more amazing guests and insights to you. I've taken the insights from these interviews, along with my 20 years of experience in the game industry, and compressed it all into a book with the same title as this podcast, Think Like a Game Designer. In it, I give step-by-step instructions on how to apply the lessons from these great designers and bring your own games to life. If you think you might be interested, you can check out the book at thinklikeagamedesigner.com or wherever fine books are sold.